But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just made depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas' idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Give Us a Second, a mini-sode series brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 28th edition, The Best of the Decade Part 2. That's right. People love when we make lists, so... That's true. A couple of days ago, we posted our numbers 10 through 6 of our favorite films of the past decade, and now we are going to give you... Numbers five through one, the thrilling conclusion to all of this. That's right, the good stuff. (laughs) For those of you who may not have listened to part one, we've decided to do no ties. I was only going to do one movie per director. That's true. Matt was not following that because he didn't have to. Yeah. And I don't know, we quickly went through ten through six. Should we do a recap? No, no, come on. Okay. It wasn't that long of an episode. Somebody can just go back and listen yeah, to Yeah, go it. back and listen Please. to hear choices 10 through 6. <laughs> and if you forgot them, download, download the again. episode again. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't hurt us. But we will recap that our Twitter account is at GreatestPod. Yeah. So go ahead and follow us on there. And make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, why not tell a friend or two about the show? Really? Yeah. Help us out for a change. (laughs) Come on. I mean, he throws it out there all the time. No one's doing it. (laughs) We're putting in a lot of time on this thing. That's true. Very late nights. So you could do your part for a change out there. (laughs) So, yeah, I think one of the themes that we were pushing in part one was that the past decade was maybe better in terms of films than it would seem on the surface. Because the narrative being put out there by a lot of people in the entertainment media and the people that comment on it or write about it is that things aren't as good. And this summer that we are in the middle of right now has been particularly bleak. Oh, that's true. So that's making people really... That's like, I never want to go to the movies now. ...think, you know, what the fuck. And we're not alone. And we're definitely people that don't necessarily hit all of the biggest movies. But even those people seem to have had enough where Godzilla and Men in Black and Shaft and all these X-Men, they all have been doing well under what was expected of Well, maybe this is the fall of sort of the franchise continuations and we'll start to get... I hope so. We'll see. It's time to swing back the other way. I'd love to see studios decide to make a bunch of 20 or 30 million dollar movies rather than one 300 million dollar movie but that just isn't how things are now they'd rather go for the big home run rather than a couple singles and a double maybe you get lucky every once in a while they want to go for like the big things and that's it yeah they want those proven money makers but this compilation putting together this list has shown us that there's been some good stuff and i think once we reveal our number ones we can maybe talk about some of our near misses last eliminated oh yeah honorable mention whatever you want to call i think since our lists are a lot different and we only have a few in common i think 
safe to say that the ones that are on your list that aren't on mine and the ones that are on mine that aren't yours might be honorable mentions. We've kind of mentioned that as we've gone along. Oh, yeah. So I'll start this time, and my number five movie came out in 2012, although I did not see it in a theater until spring 2013, Uh as a lot of these things are. And that would be Spring Breakers, directed by Harmony Corinne. That's right. You girls is different from the rest. I knew y'all special from the moment I saw you. It's in your eyes. It's written on your faces. I want to make you happy. I want us all to fall in love. Let's cause some trouble now. Live life to the fullest. Spring break. Spring break forever. <laughs> I'm happy to see this pop up here. I was just explaining to someone the other day that had never seen Spring Breakers and they were saying that they wanted to. I was like, it's probably way better than you would think it is. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly not what it looks like on the surface. People who are familiar with Harmony Corinne might have some idea that it's not what it looks like. But uh, yeah. I think a lot of people out there aren't familiar, so they don't know what well, they're when, in for. When I was thinking of Harmony Corinne, I was obviously thinking about like the kids' days and right the other one that's fucked up, Gummo. Yeah, Gummo. But Spring Breakers is like way more fun than those movies. Yeah, it's a strange neon dream. I don't know if people were expecting like a teen comedy starring Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hutchins or something, but. The theater that I saw it in, there were some disappointed couples. I think uh, one couple walked out. It's very weird. It's almost like a stream of conscious feeling thing where things are repeated and lines of dialogue aren't syncing up with what's on screen. It's very hallucinogenic feeling. It's a crazy performance by James James Franco. Franco. Two Britney Spears songs in it. Yeah, the movie so, is almost like a love letter to Britney Spears at one point, which oh, right. is great. I'm on board. Yeah, it's just a wild ride, and it's a lot of fun. It was certainly something super unique at the time, not often replicated. Yeah, I definitely think it's a theme with some of my choices here that I love people going for big things, like taking a big swing and oh, it's something a lot that. different yeah. than what is the norm. And we certainly saw his movie, The Beach Bum, this year, which had some similar type feels to it. Yeah, it's almost, like, story-wise, it's not the same or anything, and even tone-wise, it's not the same, but aesthetically, it's like a sequel. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) It seems to take place in the same world. He seems fascinated with Florida right now. (laughs) It's this strange thing, because I feel like it is a movie that's probably not for anyone, yet weirdly I would recommend it to anyone. Which one? Spring Breakers or Beach Bum? Both. (laughs) Somehow Beach Bum is even more weird. Even though Spring Breakers is almost taking place in an alternate reality, you kind of buy that there's some kind of a story. Whereas, like, the beach bum, it's almost like a pretend story. You're right, just like, like, what is going on? What is this about? <laughs> yeah, and the focal point is just one character encountering a bunch of other characters. Whereas, like, there's a core group in Spring Breakers. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, of course. Plus, Selena Gomez. Yeah, we talked about Spring Breakers on the show. It was a very early episode for us. 
And I think one of the major themes of that episode was talking about the good girls gone bad theme where people were really desperate to shed their goody two shoe Disney images. And that's part of the meta appeal of Spring Breakers is having Selena Gomez or Vanessa Hudgens or whoever like in handcuffs in a bikini, you know, stuff like that. I would recommend it. So what's your number five? Number five for me, certainly another director who had multiple options in the mix. We have not done an episode of the podcast on it yet, but it's another one of those ones that's been thrown around for a long time that we'd potentially do. Inherent Vice. Right. And this would be my number four. Okay. So we're kind of around the same area on this one. That you, Shasta? <laughs> Thinks he's hallucinating. No, just a uh, new package, I guess. I need your help, Doc. Uh, you know, I have a an office now. That's like a day job and everything. I looked in the phone book. I almost went over there. Then I thought better for everyone if this looks like a secret rendezvous. So, somebody keeping a close eye? Just spent an hour on surface streets trying to make it look good. You know, obviously he did Phantom Thread, The Master, both super compelling movies Mm -hmm. but this one is like a little bit more on the fun side you know a little bit more comedic probably has this almost like a more artsy big lebowski it's interesting because we both put this in our top fives of the past decade and yet this is probably paul thomas anderson's most divisive movie yeah maybe ever maybe at least since hard eight his first movie mostly beloved this movie, it had mostly positive reviews, but it was down in like the 70% range, whereas mostly everything else he does is in the 90s or above. I mean, I don't know, maybe Punch Drunk Love was something like similar to this. And are people down on it now, like looking back? Yeah, I don't I know. Think so. I think that it has its fans. Okay, certainly in this room. Yeah, I love it. I know people whose opinions... I don't know them personally, but there's there are people that whose opinions I do respect, and yet they can't stand this movie. Oh wow! It's definitely one that some people just don't like. Yeah, for I mean, whatever reason, I and it is hard to understand. Yeah, it, it takes more than one time, and it certainly has a weird it. vibe and a weird tone. I would say, but it it's another one to me that's just like a fun time. There's a bunch of funny scenes in it. I think it's like cool throughout it. You know, I'm always intrigued. Yeah, it has enough in it to be like, okay, this is a fun hangout movie like Jackie Brown. Yeah, yeah. But there's also a dark side to it and a lot of interpretations and theories that can spring from it. There's a lot of confusing elements that you can either choose to take seriously and really try to figure out what they mean or just let them pass by you. Right. And, and that's just think, thing. okay, that was strange. And they throw you at times because like it feels like jokey and then it'll be like really sad or it feels like jokey and then it'll be like really kind of like serious and intense. I've seen the movie a bunch of times now and I still don't really know 
exactly what to make of the ending and what to make of the resolution of it. Oh yeah, right. But it's and one I of those... think it's certainly open to interpretation yeah, in a bunch it, of different ways. It certainly inspires like thought and conversation after you watch it. Yeah. So that was my number four. So go ahead and give your number four as well. Okay, so my number four was Black Swan. What's she doing here? He made me your alternate. Because just in case. Thomas. 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 Yes. It can't be her. It can't be her. Okay, why don't you just go and catch up later? What's going on? Lily. You made her my alternate. Well, there's always an alternate. Lily's the best choice. No, but she wants my role. <laughs> Every dancer in the world wants your role. No, this is different. She's after me. She's trying to replace me. Nobody's after you. No, please believe me. I know it's been a struggle. But you just had a breakthrough this morning. Tomorrow's yours. Just give a great performance and you won't have to worry about Lily or anybody else. Now go home and rest. I think this was 2010, right? Darren Aronofsky, 2010. Yeah. Natalie Portman wins Best Actress Oscar. Aronofsky has kind of like fallen out of favor a little bit for me personally, I guess. Like, I haven't had like a turn on him or anything. I just feel like he, you know, he did that Noah movie. Right. And then he did Mother, which we certainly had an interesting experience with. And Yeah, I was of the crowd that loved Mother, but it was a crazy-ass movie. People generally hated it, it seemed like. I didn't hate it, but it was just insane. Noah, I never even finished. I was bored with yeah, it. Yeah, I never saw that. But That was probably his highest budget movie ever. At this time period, coming off of like The Wrestler, which I was really into... Yeah. And then this movie, it's like, this. so I'm like, this is going to be a winning formula for me. Aronofsky, who's kind of directing like bigger movies now. Natalie Portman, what's not to like? I mean, she's unbelievable in it. Like you said, she won the Oscar. <laughs> it's thrilling. It's this dark psychological, these mind games going on with her and Mila Kunis. Which, you know, you kind of forget about Mila Kunis at this point, too, sometimes. I think she's, like, great for this role. Like, you don't really think of her as a movie star that much, you know? She mostly is good at playing herself. I mean, right. she's not someone you think of as, like, a great actress. True. But she does fit this, this movie part. perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that the other people couldn't do her part in this. It's not like she's reinventing the wheel. But, yeah, she she fits. Yeah, it, I just think it worked for this movie, and... It's another one where it's like the score, it's, you know, they use this sort of ballet music and like kind of... Yeah, the actual Swan Lake and everything. But it feels like transformed a little bit to be... More to, menacing. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, this was a movie that was highly anticipated for me because the early trailer shows there's at least going to be a makeout scene between uh, right. Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman. I mean, what more could you ask for? And then you yeah. see at the end, you're like... Oh, this is by Aronofsky, too. You're like, holy shit. Right. I mean, it's creepy. It's fucked up. It's just like a cool movie. We did this on the pod. We did. In the day. Yeah, it's been a while. And I do think one of the points I made in that episode was I felt like Aronofsky was elevating the material. That if you thought about what the script probably looked like and how it was written, it probably seemed almost like ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But he turned it into something... That wasn't like some cheesy horror 
movie that well, was yeah. just awful. It's certainly like atmospheric. Yeah, and I think it's possible that if had I watched this movie more recently, maybe it would have snuck onto my list. It's hard to say. I mean, yeah, true. I, like I said, I have like forty honorable mentions. That's, it's like narrowing it this down was hard. I definitely considered it. It definitely stuck with me for a while after I saw it. When I see it sitting on the Blu-ray shelf and I'm thinking about watching something, it's kind of one of those ones that I'm always like, oh, I should watch Black Swan. I never do. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think fondly of it. My number three is a little picture called The Wolf of Wall Street, directed by Martin Scorsese, 2013. For years I've been telling you guys never to take no for an answer, right? You know, to, to keep pushing, to never hang up the phone until you get what you want. Because you all deserve it. You know this fucking deal that I'm about to sign? Barring me from the securities industry, barring me from Stratton, my home. <laughs> the fuck is that, you know? I'll tell you what it is, it's, it's, it's me taking no for an answer, you know? It's them it's them selling me, not the other way around. It's, it's me being a hypocrite is what it is. So. You know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! The show goes on! This is my home! They're gonna need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here! They're gonna need to send in the National Guard a fucking SWAT team, cause I ain't going nowhere! This one was definitely in consideration for my list. Three hours long. It's Goodfellas-esque. It's crazy. As many memorable scenes almost as Goodfellas. Every few years, Scorsese returns with a vengeance <laughs> right and reminds everyone that he's the king whether it's the departed or goodfellas yeah. or whatever every now and then he's got to come back strong because you know he's doing his passion projects that yes, really yes. don't appeal to a ton of people whether that's silence or kundun or right <laughs> did we do this for the pod ever wolf of wall street yeah no okay i couldn't remember if we did i will always remember that we saw this on christmas day there's just yeah. something about it. That's just Most like, appropriate right. Christmas Day viewing ever. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I've seen a lot of wild movies on Christmas Day, actually. I think I saw Django and Hateful Eight, maybe. Right. Oh, Hateful Eight maybe wasn't on Christmas. I can't remember. But yeah, a lot of cool movies on Christmas Day. <laughs> you get to see uh, Leo snort coke out of some chick's butthole right. on I mean, Christmas. Yeah. And Jonah Hill, just like this crazy character in this movie. So many obscene moments. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the shock value of this movie is really high. There's not really much you can say. It's just 
it's funny. It's in your face. There's moments that had the theater gasping when they oh, happened, yeah. just right. in shock. <laughs> yeah, in a time where we're all offended by like everything, it's just like it's crazy. This movie was like so over the top offensive, but yeah. it seemingly was okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, it's six years ago almost. That's true. But that's my number three. So go ahead with yours. My number three was. Oh, and I also think before we move on, we should talk about Margot Robbie being in Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, that's true. That was I uh, mean, every, that was her moment. introduction right. to the most people. I mean, she had been in some stuff. Uh, she was on like a TV show. Just a, a stunning beauty. Yeah, and I remember walking out of the theater saying like she looks like a young Jamie Presley, who we mentioned briefly back in the Poison Ivy thing. <laughs> Jamie Presley like slitting her throat. <laughs> Well, I mean, people get older. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but they, thing, we're not the only ones. I mean, right. frequently on Reddit, side-by-side okay, comparisons yeah, yeah, right. of the two. I mean, they <laughs> do look a lot alike. But yeah, I mean, foof, what a way to come onto the scene. Oh, yeah, I know. And she has real staying power, let me tell you. Woof. Um, yeah, that part where she just is like fully nude walking yeah, out. Whoof. Just like jaw-dropping. Unbelievable, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's hard to move past Wolf of Wall Street without at least mentioning that's a good call i feel like we would have been remiss and i think one of the big criticisms for people that didn't like the movie is that it's like very self-indulgent and strays into just the absurdity at times that people have a hard time with but i think it's intentional i think it's intentional to have like a 15 minute sequence of leo on quaaludes like not moving and falling out of his car (laughs) and i mean yeah it gets a little crazy but it's as exaggerated as they could get away with True. to try to show how over the top these people were yes. and how out of control everything was. And yes, there's a feeling to it where you're like, well, does anybody learn a lesson? Like, what are we supposed to take away? But I think like that last moment with Jordan Belfort like selling the pen to the audience and then the camera like turns and it's like almost like in a way it's projecting the blame back onto us for celebrating people like this and you know some people might not take that away from it but i think that ultimately the commentary is like these are terrible people and you're supposed to understand that and this isn't really a celebration of it yeah although there is something enjoyable about it oh for sure i mean it's a movie it's entertaining right yeah it's very funny but obviously it's like as a society we do enjoy championing these people like, when they're characters of something. I mean, the, the Kardashians. You know what I mean? Well, that part where he's, like, due to, like, the um, crackdown from, like, the government and all this stuff that's happening, and he's supposed to, like, leave the company and all this stuff, and then he's giving that speech, and oh, then yeah. midway through the speech, he, like, changes his mind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're almost, like, cheering because it's so funny oh, I know. and great. You're like, yes! <laughs> I'm not going anywhere! <laughs> <laughs> that is a great scene. Number three for me... And this is one, we did it for the pod, love this movie, was really high on this director for a time period. The Place Beyond the Pines. You were standing right where your dad used to stand and we used to talk. He was a good guy. Your dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, those glasses. I haven't seen those in a long time. There he is, those goofy glasses. These were his? Yeah. You keep those. He would have wanted you to have them. Was he good at anything? Yeah, he was the best motorcycle rider I've ever seen in my life. Best. Yeah? Best. Never seen another one like him. Best. 
He was like, nothing. Where? You guys good friends? Yeah, I think we were. You still got his bike? No, his bike's gone. Yeah. Police took it. I think they cut it up. They were angry with him. I know that. They were real mad with him. I can show you some other things too if you want to see more. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you put the glasses on? <laughs> for sure, he would have said they were left there for you. No doubt. Put them on if you want. Go on. Put them on. Come on, I'll tell you. Yeah. 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 You're calling him back. <laughs> preceded this blue valentine was also in heavy consideration for my list ryan gosling in general movies that he's been in over the past 10 years basically yeah. all in consideration for my list the place beyond the pines was definitely one i was considering sneaking on when i had a slot open up it was really between that hereditary and silver linings playbook to get that last spot and i don't know if i would have thought that Upon initially seeing it. Oh, wow. My appreciation grew so much when we did it last year on the pod. I loved the movie, but it it increased so much last year. The year it came out, it was my number one that year. Like, I I just loved it. I mean, certainly, like, I was a little bit down on the third act, but I didn't even care. Like, the first two acts of this movie were, like, on such a different level than anything I had seen, like, in the recent years. Yeah, I do love and respect like what a big swing it is it's the type of movie that would exist in the bygone eras like the the heyday of american cinema in the 70s it's so big and epic feeling right and it's just like the the tone to it it's just got this like harrowing feel you know yeah and it's got like really cool action sequences that feel like kind of raw and gritty and like fun dialogue scenes like ben mendelson is just like this awesome character in it yeah, and as we talked about in that episode that we did on The Place Beyond the Pines, just a outstanding and unexpected performance from Eva Mendes yep. in that. Just somebody that doesn't really get a lot of credit as like a great actress or anything like that. I think she hits a home run in it and is off the charts good. Gosling is great. Mendelssohn's great. Cooper's great. Oh, yeah. And Cooper kind of an unexpected sort of appearance for me to see him play like this kind of goofy cop and then everything that goes on with that story like ray liotta coming in for like (laughs) the ray liotta role like it it all just worked for me yeah it's a great movie and and it kind of has made me sad because i was so in on derek c in france loved blue valentine loved this movie and then like since then he did that something a light between oceans i never even saw yeah i i did and i i was not that into it Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i mean with fassbender and was it Alicia Vikander? Yeah. That you would have thought, like, if it was good, we would have seen it. Exactly. And it just, like, never really did anything. Right. So uh, that's kind of a bummer for me. I still have hopes for him that he'll come back and do some cool things that I'll be into again. Mm-hmm. But he was, like, a guy that I was really excited. I was like, 
I think this guy could be like one of my favorite directors for like years to come. And it, it kind of has fallen off a little bit, but I, I'm still always hoping that he comes back with something that I'm into again. Yeah. Well, speaking of favorite directors and coming back with something that I'm into, number two for me could very easily be number one for me and probably was for different time periods. My number two and number one came out one year apart, yet probably have alternated as to which is my favorite. But as of me making this list, my number two is Inception from 2010, directed by Christopher Nolan. You create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their subconscious. How could I ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality? Well, dreams... They feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You, you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the... Uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? We're dreaming? You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. We talked about it in a two-part episode. Again, I mean, this movie made almost a billion dollars. It was a huge hit. Yeah. Established Christopher Nolan as, like, a big-time director beyond just Batman. Because you could say, well, okay, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight both made a lot of money, but... It's Batman. Yeah. But then he comes with a completely original idea that's not based off of a comic book or anything or a pre-existing thing. It's a fucking Grand Slam. Unless you count that Scrooge McDuck (laughs) comic (laughs) panel. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it's this new thing that he comes up with, this big budget monster movie. Leo Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, like, kind of an emerging star at this point again. Obviously, he'd been around. But, like, this is, like, him kind of becoming more of a movie star at this point. Yeah, which seems to have ended already. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, he was definitely uh, like having a moment during right. this time period. Well, yeah, I mean, and like Ellen Page in the mix, and she was like kind of bigger around this time period. Yeah, well, you weren't sure, you know, uh, if it was just going to be a one and done with Juno, and yeah, I mean, Ellen Page's career is kind of like cooled off too. I mean, she's not really a box office draw, neither sure. is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But yeah, it was cool people. You got to see Tom Hardy. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Michael Caine. Michael Caine, of course. Yeah. Cillian Murphy. A lot of the regulars. From... Tom Berenger. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Berenger was in any other Nolan movies, but a few of the other people yeah. were regulars. And yeah, it was an unbelievable cast. It was a cool idea. Unbelievably shot. The action sequences are just on like another level. Love that Christopher Nolan has never really been like a guy to use much like CGI or anything. So everything's like real stunts, a lot of like on location shit. Yeah, I mean there is a lot of CGI in it, but okay, for sorry. a movie of that size, right, yeah. yeah. I think that was what we talked about during the episode. There's a lot of CGI like, in it, but yeah. comparatively to movies of that budget and that look, it's right. not a lot compared to those. Yeah, and it, it almost takes like a backseat, I guess. I, they have the big sequences where they're like moving the worlds around and stuff. But. Yeah, and ultimately what it boils down to is the idea. Yeah. It's a lot of ideas at work. And so the special effects and all that stuff is almost secondary to the plot right. and story and thinking about it. And 
you really can go down a rabbit hole in terms of all the different theories and all the different crazy ideas and is this the moment where these people are awake or is it a dream and you know a lot of movies play with that idea is is this reality is this not is this a human or is this not whether you know blade runner or a million other things like westworld or whatever but it handles that material very well and Scrooge McDuck aside, it just felt like something that you've never seen. And it should be overlooked. I mean, the script is, like, amazing, too, because it just, it's such this mystery that you, like, can't quite put it all together, you know? When you get to the end, it just, like, leaves you guessing where you're like, wait, what? Yeah, and like a lot of things, it makes you want to watch it again and again to try to pick up different things. Yeah, I mean, and you think about like the amount of conversations it inspired after like your first viewing, you know, or like your first few viewings. Yeah. Just talking to somebody about it, it's like you could spend hours. Yeah, and it it's unlike almost anything I've ever seen. And yeah. it's it just has always stuck with me. And it came out in such a loaded year, too, as you may have noticed with a lot of the selections on Matt's list. And I know, I think I have five movies from 2010. Yeah, it, it like... just, that was such a crazy year. And Inception just always stuck out to me as something It's just hard to special and different. imagine an original story being this big of a movie, like this big blockbuster, like these days. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because so many of them are not that now. Yeah, now it's like Avengers Endgame makes like $2 billion in seriously such a short amount of time. Right. Worldwide, obviously, it does this huge box office, and yet it's almost like people forget about it within a couple of weeks. And yeah, I mean, it's not like Inception lasted a whole summer like Jurassic Park or something, but nine years ago it was definitely something that felt different than it does now and it was definitely something that everyone was reacting to and it's weird i think we also touched on the fact that we felt like inception was almost like underrated now even though it's i think mostly liked and did pretty well as far as rotten tomatoes i mean oh yeah although it's probably lower than a lot of things that you wouldn't believe i think it probably was only like hovering in like the high 70s or 80 percent which is crazy to me i mean i don't know what people are thinking but yeah if i see even like one dissenting opinion about inception i I get like all up in arms about it and i I can't believe it i mean i'm like that almost with anything to do with christopher nolan because i know there are people out there that don't even like his dark knight trilogy who are supposedly fans yeah i mean i know we bring it up all the time i but it's like i see a shitload of movies I mean, Christopher Nolan is directing movies on a level that I just feel like no one else is. Yeah, I do think it's partially to do with the fact that he's so universally loved by movie bros who post on like True. movie things. So then the people are going to have that pushback to it. I get just it. Like, okay. fuck that or whatever. Yeah, but, but it's like, you go back to like his roots. I mean, he's always been able to do these sort of movies that get you thinking. There's red herrings. There's just questions being asked and puzzles he just has like a unique storytelling perspective but also has like this cool really like dark vibe to his movies i remember the first time i saw memento oh yeah which god that is almost 20 years ago that i saw it probably yeah i didn't see it in 99 when it came out me neither i can remember thereafter watching it on stars in my parents basement in massachusetts yeah and that's a movie that I don't even think I fully got it until oh, several times. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, I would get a little bit at a time. I'd be like almost there and then no, and then a little closer and then a little closer. And then it's like, finally it clicks. Right. It's just been a fun ride ever since then. Almost everything he's done, I think, has been great in one way or another. Oh, yeah. Even Insomnia, which doesn't get like a ton of love. But I think that's pretty great, too. Yeah. All right. So what's your number two? My number two is the one David Fincher movie that I did pick. Another 2010 movie. (laughs) A movie that I fucking loved and still think very highly of. Social Network. Mr. Zuckerberg. This is an administrative board hearing. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy by creating the website www.facemash.com. You're also charged with being in violation of university policy on distribution of digitized images. Before we begin with our questioning, you're allowed to make a statement. Would you like to do so? I've, you know, I've already apologized in the Crimson to the ABHW, to Fuerza Latina, and to any women at Harvard who may have been insulted as I take it that they were. As for any charges stemming from the breach of security, I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. I'm sorry? Yes. Love the vibe, love the story, love sort of the commentary that's going on here. Obviously, we did an episode on it. I can remember the trailers coming out for it and just being like, ugh, I don't think so. And then, it's, you know what I mean? Because it's just like, I'm just thinking it's a Facebook movie. I had no idea, like, David Fincher was directing it. Like, the first time I saw a trailer, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I saw, like, uh, one of those... Like, teaser. Cardboard yeah, okay, things yeah. with, like, Jesse Eisenberg's face. And you're just like, oh, God, yeah, a right. Facebook movie? And Puke. Exactly, <laughs> yes. And then, like, as, like, the trailer started coming for it and it got closer, like, you, you had that the choral version of right. Creep in the trailer. Yeah. I was just, like, really getting into the vibe, the, the soundtrack with... Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Super cool. Great performances from Eisenberg. Justin Timberlake, I think, is great in it. And freaking... Uh, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, Under the Silver Lake there. Yeah, I, I love Social Network. Every time I watch it, I'm, I'm always in on it. It's probably the most unlikely movie to get a sequel that might get one. Oh, really? <laughs> I feel like there's been enough talk that... It's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it will happen, but... Yeah, I, it would be hard for me to imagine being into a sequel. Well, it just seems because so much has happened since then right? to further villainize Zuckerberg oh, yeah. that people are almost demanding a continuation of the it's story. It's weird, though, because it is a biographical story, or, you know, it's, like, based on real events, but I, I find the actual events not to really be the compelling part of the movie it's like these characters and interacting with each other it's got this kind of cool college vibe at first and like these yeah. people like making something and sort of like the the idea of like these young entrepreneurs it's a cool movie yeah it's interesting because the public's perception of zuckerberg was a lot different back then oh, right. and people loved facebook and so there was a little bit of pushback before the movie was even released of like well this is going to be a hit piece and paint Zuckerberg and Napster guy (laughs) as these terrible people because... Sean Parker. This is the older people coming in and trying to, like, villainize piracy and villainize, you know, whatever. Just basically, like, anti-internet or whatever. But ultimately, that's not how the movie plays, at least in my opinion. It actually humanizes Zuckerberg in a way that 
it turns out he probably didn't deserve. <laughs> he seems like much more of a villain than we thought in yeah. 2010. Yeah, and when we talked about this, I, I feel like we talked about it back in, like, I don't know, probably the year came out and after or whatever, where it's like, wow, this is kind of nuts that all these people were in this movie together. And it, it almost doesn't hold that anymore because it's like Army Hammer. I don't know. Yeah, you it's know. been an up and down ride for Army Hammer and the other dude who was in Horns. He never really did much. I think he ended up like directing a movie. True. And Garfield, it's been comparable to Army Hammer. It's been up yeah, and down. Like he was Spider-Man like was for a, a minute time. and right, yeah. bombed out. Yeah, it seemed like he was a big star for a time. But I mean, you know, we have Garfield, Timberlake, Rooney Mara in the right. mix, Dakota Johnson with an appearance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do feel like there are people that are definitely down on this movie, but I, I loved it the year it came out, and I, I've always like carried the torch for it. Yeah, it turns out to be much more entertaining than you would think for what is essentially a very boring courtroom drama, because it's not even like a courtroom drama about a murder or a rape or anything oh, right, like yeah. really salacious. It's just people suing each other who all seem to be assholes. Well, yeah, and obviously there's like <laughs> no action in the movie at all. Yeah, and somehow it unfolds in a very interesting way and the use of that foreboding score yeah. almost alludes to something that they weren't even fully aware of, which is what I'm talking about as far as like how insidious Facebook turned out to be. Oh, yeah. And the coldness of all of this. And just like that idea of the the scene where Justin Timberlake is like manic going off about we lived in cities and now we'll all live on the internet or whatever. And like <laughs> yeah. how like dark that really is. Okay, so my number one is, do you have a guess? Huh, I don't know. I, I was thinking Neon Demon would be on your list, but uh, uh, Drive? Yep. Is it Drive? Yeah. Okay. Right director. Yep. Drive 2011. You give me a time and a place. I give you a five minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours. No matter what. Anything happens a minute either side of that and you're on your own. Do you understand? Good. Nicholas Winding Refn. This is almost similar to how I was just talking about there was like a little bit of a pushback to Nolan and like the movie bro thing. And I do think that under a certain lens, Drive is probably going to fall into that Big Lebowski oh, yeah. fight club, Pulp Fiction club of like being too liked by dudes. True. So there is going to be a, a backlash movie. to it. Yeah. Although the Drive is certainly nowhere near as popular as those three. Oh, yeah. But the same kind of idea. I do think a lot of douchey dudes probably saw this movie and emulated it without really fully appreciating the artistic and aesthetic value of it. Oh, yeah. But I can't really concern myself with how other oh. people are interpreting something. Drive is super cool. Again, we've got Gosling in it. Nicholas Winding Refn is just like a cool director. You and I have were talking about, you know, his recent series, Too Old to Die Young. I mean, he's just one of those guys that will just like do weird, cool shit. This is the perfect blend of what he does and a mainstream idea yeah. and movie star. It's almost like two worlds colliding because, okay. The Neon Demon I love, and if I wasn't following my one movie per director rule, the Neon Demon would be on here. But 
I took it off because I, I like drive more and yeah. I was going to go with that rule. But the Neon Demon is a weirdo movie that most people are going to hate. It doesn't really appeal to almost anyone. And that's kind of the direction he seems to really be going in now and pushing that further and further. Yeah. Drive is like based off of a, it's like a novella. It's really short, but it's based off of someone else's book and was a project that was being put together basically by Ryan Gosling. I mean, he's like attached to it. He's putting it together. I think he handpicks Winding Refn based off of like Bronson or whatever other movie. So it's almost like he comes in and just puts his spin on something. And it's like an action movie, but it's also very highly stylized, awesome soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. Like this cool kind of weird pop music. Crazy bursts of violence. Right. (laughs) And Uh, some references to the movie Thief, it seems like. It's just really cool. I mean, there's really just no other way to describe it. Right. Albert Brooks playing, like, this interesting villain character. Yeah. Ron Perlman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you're, like, holding it up under, like, the microscope of whatever, you're going to be like, what are they, the East Coast mob? It's like, it sounds so generic. But, you know, you're totally missing the point, I think, if if you're looking at it, like, under that lens. Cool performances from... Christina Hendricks, Christina Hendricks, which is kind of always the weird one to me that she's kind of part of the Nicholas Winding Refn crew. Yeah, she's very briefly in Neon Demon as well, and she yeah. was in the movie Gosling directed Lost River, right. which is kind of like a Nicholas Winding Refn exactly, movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Lost River feels like a combination of a Winding Refn and a Sea in France movie. Yes, yep. <laughs> I'm actually like a fan of Lost River. I love Same. it. I like it too. That's a movie that got really bad reviews and people mostly chat on, but I think it's awesome. I just watched it again recently. And what's her name from Inside Lewin Davis in it as well? Carrie Mulligan? Carrie Mulligan, yeah. Well, isn't... And Oscar Isaac. Yeah, isn't Lewin Davis in it? Yeah. That was like probably before I really knew who Oscar Isaac was. Same. But yeah. There's really nothing to say about it other than people will probably be emulating it emulating driver oh, yeah. as they emulate Tyler Durden for the next few years. For sure. Whatever. And we definitely did a little bit about that on the drive episode that we did oh so long ago. Yeah. When FYE was closing, there was a guy wearing the Scorpion jacket. <laughs> Alright. He reeked of cigarettes. He was <laughs> buying all kinds of Blu-rays and I was like, this is basically me. <laughs> Just a complete dirtball. Did that guy cool. not quite look like Ryan Gosling? No look like a drowned rat (laughs) (laughs) all right so what's your number one well not to take the wind out of my own sails but inception was my number one yeah we talked about at length i think it deserves to be there i i think four or five years away from it i I was like i don't really feel like watching inception very often but it's like anytime i watch it i'm like man what a crazy movie this was this is so good immediately sucked back in right it's on we did the episode on it back around, was this 100? Or, no, that was Jaws, right? It was leading up to it. It was in yeah. the 90s. It was a two-parter. A two-parter, yeah. And I mean, I, it's like so fun to talk about. Yeah, and I think we couldn't really even do the film justice in that two-parter because it's such a intricate, complicated thing with a lot of different theories that you're going to end up getting lost in the weeds a it, Which bit. we did, I think, yeah. But, but it's okay. We worked our way through it. There's so much to talk about with it. You know, what can you do? Right. It would be interesting to see if I did this list 2011 to 2020, because I'd have to drop like four movies off of it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I ended up with only one, which was Inception. Yeah. I do think back fondly on 2010, though. We also, I think that was The Fighter that year, too. Yes. I mean, that was a just a good year, and I mean, we were certainly, I mean, I think that was, like, the last year of my life that it was ever, like, going to, like, a midnight premiere. Yeah. Well, they don't really do them anymore. Yeah. Because now they show the movies at 7 and 10, basically, on the Thursday before. That's true. And if they did, I don't think we'd be making it anyway. Probably not. Those are our top ten lists, so we can talk about a few other movies that almost made it. If you're really hell-bent on keeping us to ten each, then just shut it off. (laughs) (laughs) Those are our ten. They're set in stone, no ties. These are just our last cuts, and I do have a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but we're not going to really talk about yeah, them yeah, in just detail, kinda really. Rattle them off. I'm going to skip over ones that we... Well, certainly ones that you had on your list all could have been on mine, you know? Yeah, the ones that are on each other's lists, I'm going to skip over those. You yeah, because that's the thing. Like, that... Obviously, like I have like Drive. Right. Okay, so one of my last, last cuts, besides any that were on yours, you know, including like Blade Runner 2049 or whatever, and The Neon Demon, which I feel like we mentioned it at least, Two of my last cuts that very easily could have made it were The Tree of Life, the Terrence Malick movie, which I feel like oh, yeah. I need to watch it again, especially the new I've never gone back cut. since our in-theater viewing of it. Yeah, neither have I. I do feel like I need to see this new Criterion version. And Under the Skin. Under the Skin, yeah. Which I very easily could have seen myself putting on this Yeah, list. I certainly thought about it. Do you have... Any you want to mention real quick? Well, I you know, for sure, Blue Valentine. I mean, I, I always love that movie, but ones that we didn't talk about at all, Green Room. I yeah. thought about that. For I have that on here. Yeah. And one that I really, I, I, I kind of feel like you and I have talked about this before, and I, I was thinking you were kind of down on this movie, but I kept coming back to it, Her. Yeah, I'm not down on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have it on here, but yeah, yeah. I'm not I, down on oh, it. Oh, okay. Because I, I do, I really do like Her. I think it's the end is kind of yeah. You know what? Crazy. If I was like predicting what I thought your top ten would have on it, I would have probably thought her and Blue Valentine were going to be on okay. There. Yeah, right. Some other ones: Melancholia. Oh yeah, Lars Van Trier. <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook was certainly almost I, yeah, on there. I have that written down. Yes, the girl with the dragon tattoo, the David Fincher version, which I love. Oh yeah, and think is superior to the original. It follows. The art house horror movie. Yeah, I thought about that one. I I think I had it on there for a second. The Witch as well, another art house horror movie. Mm -hmm. The movie that was on my top ten that I decided to take off, Blue is the Warmest Color, which is probably the most controversial. There's a lot of unfortunate circumstances, I guess, around the making of the movie. I decided not to include it. stay away from it. Yeah, I don't really even want to get into it. I mean, it's just... it's. It's upsetting because ultimately, yes, there are super graphic lesbian sex scenes. A lot of it real, a lot of it simulated with like prosthetic parts and whatnot, but whatever. And those are the parts that are obviously were under certain scrutiny now. The director seems like a sleazebag, whatever. But I think the movie is very powerful and doesn't even need all of that. Oh, absolutely. And that is certainly... I would agree with that. Even though I am definitely into naked women and the two women in that movie are super attractive to me it's not making my top 10 list because of those sex scenes i think it was just a very powerful similarly to american honey like a documentary feeling movie that like you get so invested in but i decided to take it off anything else that we didn't mention ex machina oh i thought about ex machina 
you know, obviously when we talk about recent movies, A Star is Born. Yeah. Prisoners, uh, a Denis Villeneuve movie. I also really like Enemy, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I don't don't think I ever saw that. You should watch it. I think it's on Netflix. I had Carol written down as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a you movie. (laughs) The Master, Phantom Thread. Oh, yeah. The Lobster. Oh, The Lobster I almost had on my list. Mad Max Fury Road. All potential candidates. A lot of good stuff. There's probably even ones that we're not even mentioning. Overall, it's been a good decade. How many of these movies that we've mentioned total in either episode and the honorable mentions? How many have won Best Picture? I'm going to say zero. That's probably true, yeah. (laughs) Lady Macbeth. Yeah. Love Lady Macbeth. (laughs) All right, so those are our top ten lists of the decade. Like we said, if we would do this... I don't know, a month or two from now, they might be completely different. Absolutely, it's but really this was how we were feeling. Thing. Right. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Uh, follow us on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, and we will be returning with a regular numbered episode probably next week, I would imagine. But thought we'd give you the special two, give us a second yeah. week Just here. A quick check-in. Obviously, we could have saved our best of the decade more towards the end of the year, but since we weren't really too keen on putting in like very recent movies anyway, I mean, I don't think it really made a difference. Plus, we'll be doing our best of 2019, as we always do, so we don't really want to do yeah. a bunch of best ofs altogether. Right. I'm sure we're going to be doing, yeah, like you said, all sorts of lists as we approach the new year. Yeah, so I felt like this was a good time. To I think so. Us. All right, so thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. She said don't! Don't let it go to your head. Boys like you are a dime a dozen. Boys like you are a dime a dozen. She said you're a touch
They say all men are created equal. But you look at me and you look at Small Joe and you can see that statement is not true. See, normally if you go one-on-one -on -one with another wrestler, you got a 50-50 chance of winning. But I'm a genetic freak and I'm not normal. So you got a 25% at best at beating me. And then you add Kurt Angle to the mix, your chances of winning drastically go down. See, the three-way at sacrifice, you got a 33 and a third chance of winning. But I, I got a 66 and two-thirds chance of winning because Kurt Angle knows he can't beat me and he's not even going to try. So, Samoa Joe, you take your 33 and a third chance minus my 25% chance and you got an eight and a third chance of winning at sacrifice. But then you take my 75% chance of winning if we used to go one-on-one -on -one, and then add 66 and two-thirds percents, I got 141 and two-thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. See, Joe, the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice.